Hello and welcome to episode one of Thoroughly Kinky. Hello, Adam. Hi. Hi, Liam. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy that we're finally going through with it and recording this first episode of our Kinks Retrospective. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> it's been a long time in the works, but we're finally doing it. So what is this podcast going to be all about? Well, it's going to be doing a review of the whole Kinks discography from the beginning to the end. We might as well start at the beginning, which is with the uh, debut album, Kinks. That's right. We're going to be doing one album every episode. Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking about this for ages, and uh, Liam has the wherewithal and ability to do it. And uh, you're a neophyte kinks enthusiast, would that be fair to say? Yes, a neophyte kinks enthusiast. I've always been a big fan of what I've heard of the kinks, but actually I've never listened to a kinks album from beginning to end before this week in preparation for this episode. Wow, and you started with the first one? Right, exactly. I'm an absolute kinks virgin. You're going to be like a fan going in real time, whereas most people coming back would cherry pick the sort of best ones and sort of fanned out from there, you know. But that's that's a really unique perspective, so enjoy it. <laughs> I normally would try and choose, you know, where do I start here? What's the most yeah. accessible album? But knowing that I had you as an expert to rely on, I was really excited to start right from the beginning and do something I always liked to do as a teenager, which was to get a whole discography, start at the very beginning and just work through it. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit about the band and its history? It's hard to boil down, but the Kinks are formed by two brothers, Ray Davies and Dave Davies. Ray's the older one, Dave's the younger one, from uh, North London, Muswell Hill to be precise. And they started round about the sort of early 60s. Things kicked into gear in about 63, 64. They, they formed the band actually at school with a schoolmate called Peter Quaid, who was the original bass player. Sort of R&B scene when that was sort of coming up around about 63, 64. Um... They added a drummer, Mick Avery. They uh, attained the name The Kinks at the same time to get attention. They struck gold with their third single, You Really Got Me, ah. which was a completely unique sound for the time. It was a very uh, driving, sexy... It was it was a bluesy-sounding record, but it also sounded futuristic in a way none of their peers did. Mm. And it's very sort of basic, but in a very sort of cool and enduring sort of way because it's based around just a sort of um, really driving two or three chords. <laughs> used a sort of a proto-fuzz pedal thing. He stuck a needle in the speaker, and that made that sound that's on Yuli Got Me, or it made an earlier version of the sound that they then refined. And that song sounded so unique, and it went straight to number one, and the UK was a big success worldwide, and that kind of started it. Ray Davies showed himself as a songwriter of renown soon after, branched out a lot of different stuff. There must be about 30 albums there, between 64 and 75. There's even more than 30 albums worth of music, I'd say, because Ray Davies was like a, uh, like, he just wrote all the time. Right. So, and they had, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of recordings and a lot of songs. But yeah, around about a 30 album strong discography. And then they kind of split in the mid-90s. Another career-defining thing I should mention is they, they were banned from the US in the late 60s, from 65 to 69. Oh. It uh, was some sort of union deal. But they weren't allowed to tour there or appear on TV there or anything like that. So they essentially had very few hits in that period. And they, oh. they had a comeback with Lola in 1970 in the US. And that was like kind of like these guys have come back from nowhere because a lot of people just assumed they were an early beat group that had split up, you know. 
Now, that's interesting because we're both big Beatles fans. Yeah. Um, I know a lot about the Beatles, as you do. I don't know anything about the Kinks. That's already interesting to me that the Kinks were basically exiled from the US while the Beatles were taking over the US. Well, the Kinks, they got to tour in America in 65, but it was just a brief uh, just a brief tour, and they, they were banned as a result of apparently their behaviour on that tour. I, I think Ray Davies offended someone who knew a lot of powerful union people or something like that. Essentially, in the late 60s, they had no presence whatsoever in the, in the US. And that was exactly the time when the other British invasion bands were absolutely taking over the US yeah. in terms of influence. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a kind of very career-defining thing for the Kinks that made them kind of underdogs. Mm. That, that made them had a kind of underdog spirit because they felt they missed out on the high 60s. They didn't play Monterey, they didn't play Woodstock. I mean, neither did the Beatles, but they didn't have any presence here. None of the hip people of that period were named dropping the kinks or, or they, they essentially thought they were like an R, you know, an R&B band that had a few quick hits and then disappeared. So they always felt like they were fighting against that on the uphill struggle back to success after that in the US. I did want to just briefly mention the album cover since we were talking about that image. Oh, yeah. On this album cover, we have this shot of the four members of the band and just the word kinks above them. Yeah. Everything is in a reddish hue. The image looks kind of satanic. Yeah, I, I, I totally see that. I think it's a very strong album cover, backed up to a certain extent by how nasty you really got me sounds, how Dave sounds in a lot of the covers. Like It's one of the stronger album covers, I think, and they've, they've got some shockers coming up. <laughs> they, they really did badly out of LP art, but this is a good start. This is a good, strong album cover. In style, it kind of reminds me of With the Beatles. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, definitely. That must have been an influence, yeah. Okay, so uh, that's Wet My Appetite. And so we're going to start with track one. Are you ready, Adam? Beautiful Delilah. Beautiful Delilah. Let's go. Let's go. Let's listen to it. So, beautiful Delilah. As a newcomer to the Kinks, I thought this was a great opening track, really energetic, simple chords, but very complex rhythm. Yeah. That distinctive yeah. voice of Ray Davies, very kind of harsh and electrifying. Ah, well, I've got, I've got to blow your mind here because that's not actually Ray singing, that's his brother Dave. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I thought Ray Davies was the lead singer, uh, full stop. He is the lead singer. He became the lead singer. Um, it's part of the duality and the kinks between him and his brother and a huge competitiveness. But Ray is obviously, he is the dominant creative force. There's no getting around it. And especially when they started off when they, they were doing covers like that one, which is a Chuck Berry number, they kind of on stage were singing about an equal amount in the early oh. days. But when Ray became the sort of dominant songwriter, he became the dominant lead singer. And he sings most of the hits. But on the albums, especially early on, Dave usually gets a two or three. On a third of these tracks? Yeah, he opens. And that actually happens a lot of early Kinks albums. For some reason, out of the first four Kinks albums, he sings lead vocals on the opening track of three of them. <laughs> Interesting. I would say Dave's more confident and he inhabits that kind of... Dave just sounds like this rock and roll animal, you know, as he does on this track, you know. And he's, he's only 17 at the time. He sounds like this sort of mutant 
sort of uh, <laughs> I, the best things about this about this particular track in my opinion is the, is the vocals because he, he just sounds like this kind of m- mutant uh, alien monster really you know you just can't betcha. yeah I, I think this would have sounded like terrifying much more than <laughs> any of the Beatles stuff to, to, to the older generation if, if you know if like you, if they heard their, their children sticking mm. this on I think it, it, it does still sound very he doesn't. He sounds deranged. He sounds barely human. I, I do think you're right when you say that the vocal is the strongest aspect yeah. of this song. Uh, the the verse itself is just one chord, a C seven chord. Yeah, yeah. A lot of rhythm going on, but just the vocal, one chord, a lot of rhythm, and and they get so much out of it. I think it's a strong number. I, I love the vocal, and it sounds weird and alien for you know for the time. You know you're so And so that was so mystifying. And I, as a newcomer, enjoyed it a lot. I think it's got this uh, nice little riff. Maybe a bit repetitive by the third verse. (laughs) Similar a lot to the Chuck Berry cover. This is an original, I understand. But yeah, I like it. I like the song. Yeah. Just knowing what Ray Davies is capable of, I don't like it that much because it particularly seems derivative of the Rolling Stones recent cover of It's All Over Now. Do you know that? Because I used to love her, but it's all over. The chorus is similar. You know, it seems like it's very influenced by that, which was a recent hit at the time. That guitar lick is, I don't know much about the guitar at all. I've been told that's a version of the hammer-on or something like that. It's sort of a hammer-off there. Oh, wow. I don't know if you're aware of the urban myth with a tiny grain of truth to it that went around that, that Jimmy Page played lead on the Breakthrough Kinks hits. You really got me all day of the night, etc. I'm not saying for sure, but a lot of people have said this hammer-on riff doesn't sound very Davish. So I could believe that one was Jimmy Page. Of course, Led Zeppelin came from a blues-loving background, so you can imagine they would be friends. Uh, the Kinks and Jimmy Page? No, he was just brought in by the producer because at the time he was a session guy. This is before he even joined the Yardbirds, so he didn't really have a band of his own as far as I know. And he was just a well-known session cat uh, who was known as quite a good guitarist, really. I don't think they were ever friends because latterly this rumour that grew arms and legs created a lot of, uh, you know... Uh, distant resentment from them. I'm not even... Yeah, I don't think... Apart from playing on that debut LP, I don't even know if they ever met again. Oh, okay. So, actually, that would be the first time they met when he was brought in as a session musician to play on this album. Yeah, and it might have been the last time they met as well. (laughs) You know? The Kinks and Led Zeppelin, as far as I know, never shared a bill or anything like that. So, and I don't think there's been too much uh, meetups in later years. I always presumed that the Kinks would be hanging around with all these other big British invasion names. I can totally understand how you would have that assumption because basically all their peers did, you know, did that sort of stuff. They, all their peers were very sort of, you know, come on, play in this session, you know, you know, let's go out party and stuff like that. The Kinks would definitely not like that and it was largely because of the influence of Ray Davies and it never got to the point of any collaborations or anything like that at all really. All right so what's the third track? 
Just can't go to sleep. This was the first song I heard as a newcomer that I really liked. Right, yeah. Like the first two, both very 12-bar blues, kind of. One's a cover, yeah. one sounds like a cover. This is the one where I felt like, ah, this is the beginning of the kinks. I really like Dave's backing vocal on the no, 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 no. It's a great hook. No, 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 no. Yeah, I just can't go to stop. It's not their own sound still, I don't think, because it's, you know, it's it sounds heavily geography and sort of uh, brow building But I mean, it's it's a pretty good song. It's very melodic. And it's it, I guess it starts talking about a recurring theme in uh, Ray Davies' writing, which is insomnia. Oh, yeah, you really got me And he later did a whole album called Sleepwalker, which is vaguely themed around that. So I, I think he suffered for that all his life. Yeah, lack of sleep. And, uh, you know, this is an early song about it. It's catchy. It, it is the song I like best so far on the album. But it's not that distinctive in their long career, I don't think. But it's, it's, it sounds good. Okay. So let's move on. And what's the fourth track? Long Tall Shorty. This was the first track, if I'm being honest, that I found a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's fine. It's it's just it's just a kind of blues, isn't it? You know, and it's not I looked up, I thought it would have a really old history. It's actually from the same year this album came out. It was originally recorded by a guy called Tommy Tucker from nineteen sixty four. So it would have been like covering a contemporary song at the time. Ah, okay. From the name, I'm reminded of the Beatles song Long Tall Sally, which is also a bluesy type song. I don't know where the long, tall stuff comes from at all. It's some sort of, I mean, I presume it's some sort of blues euphemism, probably sexual, but I don't, but it is kind of like a recurring th uh, phraseology you see in this stuff. But I don't, I'm clueless, so <laughs> I don't know where that comes from exactly. I mean, I don't know if they were all copying Little Richard's Long Tall Sally and it just went from there or whether there's, there's some other uh, thing to it. I would say it sounds very much of its genre, of its age, and maybe we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. number five. What's number five, Adam? I took my baby home. Well, I took my baby home. She said, don't you leave me alone. She kissed me on the cheek and I'm on. I said, oh. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, well, that was, I took my baby home and I'm going to replace Just Can't Go to Sleep as my number one favorite track so far with I Took My Baby Home. That gets the top spot for me so far. Basically three chords. And there's enough contrast between that and the bridge. I'm not sure what it is, yeah. which is again, just two chords. A lot of A. It speaks for itself. A great energy. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty together track. It's actually it's the B side of the first single, and it was recorded significantly before the rest of the album. It actually dates from I think January or February, uh, the year before they had a breakthrough hit. Whereas most of the album was recorded around about August, September '64. So it's the oldest recording on the uh, album by some degree, but it's it's one of the better tracks, definitely. Um, it's just a again, it's derivative. It sounds it sounds very. Uh, Mersey Beat-ish, but it's a really good Mersey Beat take, and it's it's got I'd say it's got enough of its own personality to uh, make it through in its own merits as well. Yeah, I I think it's a pretty good track. Ah, uh, you see, I'm a big Beatles fan, but I never actually got really into the Mersey Beat sound, exactly what that is. So in the context of this album, it's a refreshing sound yeah. and uh, youthful. It, it's definitely got a Jerry Marsden holding his guitar up while, while grinning sort of vibe to it, you know, that sort of more cheerier sort of... Uh, you know how do you do it kind of thing to to me anyway you know but but i think it's got a bit of the kinks personality because it's it's interesting in the lyric the the women's quite you know dominant you know physically you know which i think gives it a bit more edge you know you're talking about the lyrics now she had some pile driving kisses yeah. they really knocked me out they knocked me oh, oh, over yeah had a hug like a vice so it's getting a bit more physical there and so it, i think it's got a bit of a touch there i think of something else that gives a hint of stuff like even more like years later. Okay, so next track six, I'm a lover, not a fighter. This is one of those tracks, a bit like the opening track, where the vocal is the real star of the show. Yeah, well, it's Dave again. Um, and he'd also sung Long Tall Shorty, I should mention as well. So he's definitely doing sort of a bluesier R&B ones. I've got to be honest, I don't have that much to say about this one. <laughs> it was originally recorded in the 50s by a guy called Lazy Lester. Uh, uh, so it's a 50s uh, sort of R&B track, and that's about... It's it just is what it is. It doesn't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you get more to say about it, but I'm trying to stay uh, positive as I can. I don't feel like I've earned the right to be super critical. I liked it for what it is. Yeah, it's a twelve-bar blues. What more can you say about it? Really, yeah. They played this one a lot live in the early years. It was obviously a favorite of theirs, but it's it's not a favorite of mine. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also the solo I thought was a bit disappointing. With all this energy from Dave Davies, the solo seems very lackluster. Yeah, it's 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 functional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but speaking of solos, what's the next track? It's you really got me. Set me free. I always 
Adam, I mean, it's such an amazing song. I would like someone who can do it justice to do it justice. So please, can you tell us what you think of this song? I, I'll try. Um, well, this was the make or break song for the Kinks that they owed their whole career to. And it was the original sound that they came up with and no one else had. And that's why they broke through. And that's why they have a career. And that's everything stemmed from that one point. Because before this single, which was their third single, they did two other singles, which were flops. And their contract was you get one more single, it's make or break. And they'd had this song for a, a while. They'd been playing it live and they'd been advised not to put it out. And it was kind of like, well, we've got nothing to lose. We're going to put everything into this. We know this is our own unique sound. We're going down anyway. It's got all the ingredients. It's got this very, obviously, proto-punk, well-constructed track that's incredibly driving, just based around a few repeated chords and very sort of brutal sounding, punching right through, much more brutal than any of their as tough sounding as the Stones or the Animals were in their own way, nothing sounded quite like this in terms of just sounding so, just having that energy pushing through. And it you know, it comes down to the construction of the song, which Ray Davies wrote, but it also comes down to the guitar sound. I would describe it as hammer blows. Yeah. It, it really hits it you. It sounds nasty. Nasty in a way that nothing else in pop music and that contemporary pop music sounded. And, but it was, still a, it was still a huge pop song and it was danceable incredibly danceable and it was just so catchy it just had everything going for it everything came together uh in a fate like way kind of thing and it's the atom bomb of the kinks career before that they were wannabe blues band with a daft name and when that happened they were the kinks that's a great way of putting it here we're hearing something completely original and something which as you said defined their career afterwards yeah i do think a feeling of this album overall is that there's nothing else on the album that sounds anything like it the rest of the album is, like you said, derivative of other stuff to a greater or lesser degree, whereas no one else, you know, had that sound. My impression from this album was this feels like a compilation yep. of different yep. things they're trying out. And this is the one song which is the most original yeah. thing on it. Like it sounds light years above anything else on the album. It's very notable and the rest of the album suffers for it in the wider sense as well. You know, it just towers above the rest. Which came out first, You Really Got Me or Louie Louie? Uh, Louie Louie, the Kingsmen did the famous version and they were a garage band and their version's from 1963, I think. And definitely, Ray is copying the vocalist on that track because he's aping that style. I think that was a comfortable style for him to adopt before he found his own voice. But Louie Louie's quite different because the keyboards are very prominent in that, whereas they're, they're more of an accompaniment in You Really Got Me. Really got me more insistent, whereas Louis Louis still got this kind of. Uh... I should repeat something that I read in Q magazine in 1998 to describe Kingsman's Louis Louis. They said Louis Louis sounds more 
like a robot having a fight with a merry-go-round than a song. <laughs> okay, so um, the next track is Cadillac, and this is the first track of side two, isn't it, Adam? Yes, it is. All right, let's take a listen to it. Cadillac. So, um, that was Cadillac. I didn't love this one, to be honest. Um, It just sounded goofy, but in a bad way. Yeah, I yeah, I talk, I really get that with that. I, I, I'm not, I'm not at all uh, taken with this one. It, yeah, it sounds goofy, dorky. It's a Bo Diddley song originally, and all his songs have that kind of the Bo Diddley beat. Obviously, Bo Diddley is it's not a musician whose oeuvre I know very well. He's known for doing that famous beat, the I Want Candy beat. Bo invented that beat basically and like all his songs go back to that beat that is his thing the covers on this especially were songs they did live and then recorded with later albums they mainly got originally tv on them a lot of it's stuff they wouldn't have done live and it's maybe more of a chance to experiment in the studio to an extent whereas this stuff it's just kind of laying down stuff they were doing live anyway maybe it went over better live but immortalized this way it's kind of like nah, you know <laughs> Perhaps uh, time for another question to the expert. Yeah. Um, The Beatles' first album famously was recorded in a day and everything had to be done quickly. Did members of the Kinks struggle with this as the Beatles did? Oh, certainly early on, even worse than the Beatles, actually, because, um, well, I think once the Beatles sort of established themselves, they got a bit more time to do stuff. But um, the Kinks early on, I mean, most of the peers were like this as well. It was just like you rushed into the studio to lay stuff down quickly. Mm. When we do the second album, that very much suffered from being rushed into the studio to record it in a week, much more than this one did. There was a bit more time to this first album because certain tracks came from singles recorded earlier. Mm. So, yeah, there was ups and downs to it, but certainly the early LP work uh, suffered because of that. Let's move on to the second track of the second side, or track nine. It's called Bald Headed Women. Interesting. Let's have a listen. Okay, that was Bald-Headed Woman. And, of course, You Really Got Me is my favourite track on this album. Forgot to say that. That's definitely number one. This might be number two, replacing any other track I said was really? my favourite so far. I think this one's really? got a great atmosphere. Yeah, I listened to this, and it's the track I went back to. I thought you were going to say, this was my least favourite song. <laughs> I think this is great. It's got an amazing brooding atmosphere, and... It's what I most expected from the Kinks. Really? Slow, creeping, creepy, and yeah, atmospheric. That is that is a we have got 
we have got a complete disagreement on that, which is good. But it's interesting. You've got you've got a deep take in it that I've never had. And obviously, I always think it's better to see the good in things. So if you're getting something from it that's there that I don't understand, then you know <laughs> more power to you. You know, um, and that's it's probably better if you talk about this one. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think it's a change of pace. Yeah, it's not as upbeat as the the general tempo of the song we've heard so far it fits yeah. with you really got me in atmosphere but a completely uh, different pace a slower pace can i give you a bit of background on this and another song on the album the two bald songs <laughs> these were kind of forced on the band by the producer shell Talmy, who is a really interesting is a really good producer he helped he helped produce their sound early producer on the first five albums and he kind of forced these on them to get money because they're both old folk songs that were out of copyright that he said, oh, I've written these and took the money from them. So he was like getting, you know, extra percentage on the album. They were a little bit bogus in that sense. Bald Head Woman's definitely the stronger one, uh, but I still don't like it much. It, it's, it just sounds, it's it, yeah, it sounds kind of, it just kind of, sounds kind of slow and dumb to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm getting a mood from it, getting an atmosphere yeah. from it. Um, and to me, this point in an album as well, I'm looking for a, a change, a shift. And uh, that's what I got from this yeah. track. Uh, interesting to hear the, the background of it, that it was given to them, that it wasn't their favourite blues artist who sung this originally. It was less given to them, more like imposed on them. <laughs> and... <laughs> Shell Tommy also did that to the Who, who he also produced. He forced them to record bald-headed women. Uh, <laughs> he got more money from the band because there was no no songwriter to pay? He took the songwriting copyright for these traditional songs or copyright blues songs to get to get cream money off the album sales, basically. And I kind of resent Shell Tommy for polluting the album with songs that the kinks weren't really the kinks thing, you know? Oh, that's interesting that we so completely yeah. disagree. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you like it, though. Obviously, a lot of people did because other bands covered this. Um, like, an example of that is Benny from ABBA's sort of first band, 60s band. The Hip Stars did a version of Bald Headed Women. I don't want no bald headed woman. It makes me mean, yes, Lord, it makes me mean. It was popular. People liked it. So, I'm obviously not hearing something here. <laughs> We disagree, but that's okay. Uh, we welcome the spirit of, uh, of discussion here. Yeah. Okay, so that was Bald-Headed Woman. Going on to the third track of the second side, or track 10. What do we have next, Adam? It is Revenge. Now, you used the word filler for the previous track. Yep. Uh, my second favorite track, Bald-Headed Woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. I would say this is not only filler, but a, a retread of riffs we've already heard on the album. Yeah. In a way, I like it because I like a reprise of something you've heard before. But we've heard it all before. It's a filler track. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an instrumental, which they didn't do much of. And yeah, that, it, it, it's, it's a kind of You Really Got Me-esque riff. Again, there's maybe something dodgy going on here because you'll notice it's credited to Ray Davies and L. Page, Larry Page, who was one of the Kinks managers of the time. And I really doubt he sat down and wrote that with Ray. I think that's, again, 
a bit of management or production people creaming off money because if I get a co-write on this, I could get a bit of money off this hit album. Would it really take two people to write that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> when it was already written? Probably not. Yeah, it's a bit of that atmosphere. Well, what, the only good thing that's good about it, I would say, is that it kind of restates the riffiness of You Really Got Me, which I, I personally think should have been more of a theme throughout the album to give it more shape and make it more on brand. But apart from that, it's barely a thing. <laughs> Doesn't bear too much discussion. Let's move swiftly on to track four of side two, or track 11, on the CD, and it's called Too Much Monkey Business. Now here, I don't really know if I trust myself. If I hadn't heard Beautiful Delilah first, would I have said all the same things about Beautiful Delilah about this track? As track 11 now, it just felt too similar to what we had at the start of the album. Mm. And that's how I still feel about it, having listened to the album a few times now. Well, it's another Chuck Berry song, isn't it? You know, um, Right. So there's your similarity there. Um, I Actually, I really like this track, but the alternate take which is on this same album at the end, is better because it's okay. that bit faster. In fact, it's nearly kind of hardcore punk fast. Do you want to maybe play that? Yeah, let's have a comparison. Wow, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Immediately, I much prefer the song. And if this was on the album rather than the track that is on the album, yeah. I think my complaint about the repetitiveness would go away because it would have been a reprise of something with a twist. It's really amazing how fast that is for the time. And it's like the verses, when they really hit it, it's like, so it is almost like, it's almost approaching hardcore punk levels of velocity. And to me, it's like, well, I don't ever listen to the album version because there's a better version that's on the same CD later on, you know. A lot of bands did too much monkey business, like the, the Beatles did it. Their versions are too restrained for me because they, they're too respectful. What I want to hear is the, is the kinks just taking it and doing a sort of like speeding it up to 70 RPM, sort of like hardcore punk version in 1964, which is amazing, you know. <laughs> Pity that this track, which embodies all those kinks attributes, wasn't on the final release. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether they just wanted to play it safe because it's just like, you know, uh, and just let's put a slightly more boring version on the album. I don't know what was going on there, but um, at least we got an outtake version later on because that's, that's an outtake that genuinely is better than the original or the, the, the issued version. Speaking of which, we're getting towards the end now. What is coming up next, Adam? It's I've been driving on Bald Mountain. Your 
So my my appraisal of the last track was oh, another Chuck Berry song, another 12 Bar Blues song, same tempo, same kind of lyrics. Yep. This sounds like not only another 12 Bar Blues, <laughs> Chuck Berry-esque, um, same tempo, not particularly lively, but also you can barely hear the vocals here. Yeah. It's quite irritating to listen to. Yeah, it's 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 the most it's kind of like all the worst bits all the failings that various tracks had in this album and and combined in one it's like there is nothing i can say about it i mean bald-headed women i don't like but it it is distinctive it has that distinctive tempo this is just like the most anonymous 12 bar blues just it's the most forgettable it's one of the most forgettable tracks in the kinks whole catalog right now (laughs) it's like (laughs) okay good to hear that i'm on the right track we're gonna be entering now the penultimate track now track 13 on your cd stop your sobbing it is time for you to stop all of your sobbing this is time My third favourite track on this album. I like it. I think it's got a melody, but also an underlying sadness to it, which makes it intriguing. And it's got a little riff and this interesting refrain. Gotta stop sobbing, eh? Yeah. I mean, you know, the Pretenders did a hit cover of it in the late 70s. There's one thing you gotta Chrissy Hind was in a relationship with Ray shortly after that. Really? Is she that old? I thought she was much younger. There's about five years difference between them, you know, but this but this is in the 80s, you know, <laughs> only in his late 30s by then. So A mature love. Yeah. So they turned it into a hit, hit version in the late 70s. They nearly got married. Uh, they had a kid together in the sort of early 80s when they were together. But this, the original recording of Stop Your Sobbing features Ray's first wife, Raza, on uh, backing vocals. You can hear her and they can, ooh, except it sounds much better than that. <laughs> gotta stop sobbing now. Yeah. Stop it, stop it. Gotta stop now. Ray very quickly. I'm talking about Raza here, Raza Davies. In 1964, they, they met in the summer and they were married like a few months later, I think. And she was quickly integrated into the Kinks studio setup uh, as a backing vocalist, would you believe? And she sings backing vocals on most stuff from this LP right the way through the rest of the 60s. Right. Well, the lyrics, they, they seem to be about relationship problems. Yeah, I think it was written about an early girlfriend that's in his autobiography somewhere. But I would compare this to Just Can't Go to Sleep in that it seems girl group influence, but it's, they make it their own more. It doesn't rely on the, the, the text of a girl group song and makes it more their own thing. And it's more individual. And it's definitely the second best song on the album after You Really Got Me, certainly. I would agree. Well, I not agree because, <laughs> but you bald-headed women comes in between. Yeah, yeah, of course. That takes priority. The vocals are also something that stand out for me on this track. The way he pronounces, do. There's one thing you gotta do do you know what it reminds me of there's a place on the first beatles album because it's this penultimate track which shows a lot of promise and potential for what they would be capable of it's kind of like a little we're finding our feet 
here's a little gem of a pop song that has a lot of traces of what we will become. Okay, we've finally made it to the final track on the album. What is it, Adam? Got Love If You Want It. It's a fitting conclusion to this album. It's another 12-bar blues. Is it Ray Davies? or This one's Ray, actually. It's a playful sound. Didn't blow me away. Yeah. But a nice closer. I thought it sounded like fun. I guess in, in those days, the Beatles set the standard play. You've got to end the album with a rave-up kind of thing. And it's kind of more a pure bluesy thing uh, that was originally done by a guy called Slim Harpo. And they, I think they, unlike, say, Cadillac, where they take a song and sort of like dockify it a bit um, with this they take us on and do it justice but don't take it anywhere else so it's a, it's a, it's a decent conclusion but it's not it's not what you listen to Kinks for it, it, it's a decently performed blues rave up and that's about the best thing can say about it you know it does its job but it's not embarrassing either I don't have a lot more to say about it I think you tied that up really well where do we recap on the album then? to sum up one word we've used a lot so far in this podcast is the blues yep Seems like they were really still under the grip of the blues, highly influenced by the blues, and maybe they didn't know exactly what they would contribute to it. Yeah, exactly. You really got me as their own take on the blues, I guess, but it doesn't really end up being the blues, but it's, it's a new thing. On this album, you see them attempt to do straight blues and straight rock and roll covers and with varying success and a few experiments that point the way towards what they would become. I mean, this is the only album in the Kinks career where Ray doesn't even write most of the material. He only writes about half the songs, which is uh, the covers they're doing are generally only decent at best, and there's a few outright uh, ball drops, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I haven't got a, an extensive of a knowledge of the blues as yourself, but I could tell that there's a lot that's yeah. derivative on this album. Yeah. And as a whole, the album yeah. feels like a compilation of tracks. Obviously, all albums from that time were just compilations to the extent, but even like the Beatles' Please Play Me, Nice and Sound, Cohaven, Nice and Sound, I think a more unifying collection of tracks than this does, you know. Yeah, it seemed like the first Beatles album went for variety, uh, hinting at what they w- would go on to do with their yeah. later albums when they were fully in control of what they were recording. This yeah. feels like they needed to fill up two sides of a disc. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very low in my overall list of favourite Kinks albums. You've been listening to Thoroughly Kinky. And see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thoroughly Kinky. If you'd like to send us an email, we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at thoroughlykinky at gmail.com You can follow us on social media too. You'll find all the links in the description. So that's all from us. See you next time on Thoroughly Thoroughly Kinky. Kinky.